As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and today my co-host George Alec and I will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside bet 365 Steve Freeth. How are we both? Steve, I'll come to you first. How are you? Always oh, surprise, surprise. He's leaped into action when I, asked it. I said his name. I'm good. Um, good. Stoke midweek, I watched to get beat Swansea 3-0, so I was pleased to see... Jacob Brown scored his third un-Jacob Brown-like goal uh, on the trot, which was good to see. Just needs a bit of finishing to, to go to his all-round game now, and I'm delighted to see that, and hopefully Stoke can kick on for the rest of the season. I don't want to talk about the Albion, because they were rubbish, and that's what that. you come to me. In fact, <laughs> they, they, they weren't rubbish. There were, there were signs of green shoots under Brucey. It was better. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating being an Albion fan at the moment. God, if things were better under Bruce and they lost 2-0, how bad were things before? <laughs> George, you okay? I still, haven't watched your sh- I still haven't watched your show. I really wanted to watch it before I came on and spoke to you, but how, just, how did it go down? Just do what everyone else does, Dan, and just, and just lie and say you've seen it and you loved it. That's Oh, I'm, an, I'm an honest guy. I'm not going to lie about it. I do want to watch it though. Um, yeah, I'm good. Steve often gives me stick for not going to any live football, so I should mention I went to QPR against Borough on, on Wednesday night, um, and I even went on Tuesday doing some work for Charlton TV, which meant I was at the Valley for a Charlton game, even when they were playing away. So I was sitting in a in a box pitch side with Scott Minto and Alan Kerbishley, um, two Charlton legends, watching Charlton get beat two one by Bolton. So um, yeah, plenty of, of of football for me. And then on Saturday going with my, my father-in-law to uh, to Grimsby against Aldershot. So, beat that, Steve. No hospo for me. Plenty of pies, plenty of... Uh... No, there was plenty of hospo in, in midweek, I saw, for the Villa-Leeds yeah, game. I, did, I, did, I, did I saw that. I did the yeah. race, didn't I? <laughs> it's just me. Race, in the hospitality. Why am I the only one who's not wined and dined ever? Not sure, to be honest. There's absolutely no reason why I should get wined and dined and not you, George. It is a... You need to be more pushy. I reckon yeah, you're too true. polite. Sometimes, sometimes you, sometimes you just got to ask. Steve did say he was going to sort us out some corporate hospitality. But I know. We're still waiting for that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the football with your father-in-law, George. What's that? What's that like? What are you like with him? I can't imagine uh, you're too boisterous anyway, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, it's easier when I'm going to watch because he's a he's a Grimsby fan, and um, you know, we've, we, he's coming because they live up in in kind of that area, that part of the world. He's come with me to Scunthorpe away a couple of times where maybe I've been a bit boisterous um, when I'm watching Oxford. But 
generally, I mean, I, I've been with them twice to Wembley to watch Grimsby in the in the in the uh, National League playoff final, and the time that they won the second time, I turned to my right to hug him, and some absolute giant next to him had lifted him up and put him on his shoulders. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's always always enjoyable. But I mean, I'm just lucky that I've got in-laws who um, who support a football team worse than Oxford. So that was hard to find. When I was in when I was in the box on Saturday, there was two Leeds fans in there as well. And when Leeds went one nil up, they celebrated, and I was looking at the stewards as if to say, "Can get these guys out, please?" And they didn't, the stewards, stewards, stewards didn't do anything, but yeah, nice guys. But they, I think they had a better time in the end than I did. Before we get into the first game of the weekend, remember you can sign up to the Athletic and save thirty three percent on access to the best newsroom in sports. So that's just three pound thirty three a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that offer, just go to theathletic.com/football. Pod. Game one, Saturday lunchtime, Manchester United v Southampton. It's Ranić's 10th game in charge. The record so far stands at 1-5, drawn three, lost one. So, George, how do you assess his start to life as Manchester United manager? And I bet you enjoyed last Friday night at Old Trafford, actually, the game. Uh, I, I wasn't and Your dad, Chris, Chris Wilder, stole the win. Yeah, hopefully uh, a few listeners to this podcast have kept the faith a little bit and uh, bat, a few of them backed Crooks to... To score any time, uh, I know Dan, you did. I did, and you also you sent me yeah. a text um, about five minutes before the goal, saying that he was terrible, and I owed you a fiver. Which uh, I think by that by that thinking, I think you certainly owe me a pint next time we <laughs> uh, when we meet. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I mean they were. I think if we're going to be honest, uh, on Friday night, Manchester United deserved to be two, three goals up at half time, um, and I think that's kind of the arc that United's time under Randick has taken where I think early on they were fairly poor they picked up results in games that they didn't necessarily deserve to um, certainly a couple of Villa games went by without defeats where they should have probably been beaten um, even you know, Palace the first game that they won Palace had plenty of chances in the game recently I think the performances have got a bit better but they're not getting those wins um, it felt like for a long time under under Oli United made a habit out of finding a way to, to pick up points in games where they hadn't played particularly well. Um, I thought they were very good against Barra. Yes, Barra are a championship side and I saw a lot of the, the kind of discourse around the game afterwards with United fans were saying, well, hold on, people are, are praising us for our performance, but but, but Barra were poor. Well, I, I mean, I think United did very well to make Barra look very, look poor for the most part. It was only in the, in the last half an hour when Duncan Watmore came on and stretched the game a bit that, that Barra came into it. Um, then you've got the Burnley game in, in midweek where... It looked like to me they'd done enough to to get themselves clear. You know, Varane had the had the the offside goal. Uh, Pogba scored the goal. They looked very dangerous, and then uh, some defensive lapses let let Burnley back into it. And it was only a, a David de Gea save. A, a save I don't think he got enough credit for. An amazing strong right hand uh, low from Weghorst's shot, which um, which kept them level. Um, of course, they had chances to win it as well, but they played okay. So uh, I mean, I think there's some progress in terms of what they're doing. There seem to be a lot of people who think that he is a a very poor manager and tactician. One of which is, uh, you know, the Athletics' esteemed <laughs> tactics journo Michael Cox, who's made no secrets about his views on on Ralph. Uh, they seem to be pretty similar to mine on the previous incumbent. Uh, and then there are some who, who talk about him as a future permanent manager. My opinion is it lies somewhere in between. I completely understand why why Coxie thinks um, you know his his track record and his past is maybe overblown in terms of what he's doing. But I think there are certain things he's introducing to this United side um, that are going to make them a, a better team to take over for whoever does take over long term. Who I don't think will be Ranić, uh, and I don't think we're seeing any reason why it would be him either. Pogba, Steve. 
Return mm. from injury, scored against Burnley in midweek. It does just feel like we go around in circles with him. I mean, I, I absolutely adore him as a footballer. I think he's, he, he's brilliant. But do you think this is just a relationship that needs to end now? And where do you think he'd go? Oh, yeah. I mean, would he go back to Juve? Mm. I don't know. It's it, it, it's just one of those where you just... I think it's just best for both parties, Dan, if we... Yeah. Say your goodbyes. He's had good spells. He's had bad spells. Admittedly, you know, Manchester United haven't really strengthened in, in quality, you know, while he's been there. I think he's won two trophies, uh, the Carabao Cup and I think the Europa League as well. And, uh, you know, we see it at the start of the season, his quality when he's, I think he had seven assists by by the middle of uh, September, which was a huge, a huge total. He's clearly a, a talented player. I'm just all bored of it. Will he, won't he? His contract's up at the end of, uh, the, at the end of the season, I think as well. There's no doubt about his ability, his ability on the ball, his ball carrying, etc. But yeah, I expect he will go in the summer. The issue is for me, admitting defeat with Pogba is admitting a massive failing by a football club. And that's not to say that Pogba's blameless in all of this. But when you've got a guy who is whose technical ability is never in doubt, whose aptitude for winning things cannot be in doubt given what's what he's done with France and the role that he's played in winning trophies with France, you know, the, the biggest trophies possible. Well the biggest trophy possible. Um and when you're in, when you're a club in a state of transition, which Manchester United clearly are, I think you need to try and ensure that you are going to appoint a manager who will be able to deal with talents and personalities like Pogba. It should almost be the litmus test. So if they're bringing in a manager who they're like, mm, I'm not really sure Paul's going to fit in with what he's doing, he's probably not the man for the job. You know, Manchester United is a, a very unique job in terms of fan expectation, in terms of of the, the massive underachievement in recent years. You know, it's, it's similar to the Liverpool job in the 90s and in the and in the 2000s where despite underperforming consistently, the aspirations of where the club should be is never going to change until they are one of the best teams in Europe, then it's not good enough. So if you're going to hold a manager to that standard and you've got a World Cup winning centre midfielder who's clearly incredibly good at football in your squad, letting that fizzle out and letting him go because... It hasn't necessarily worked out under previous bosses, who I think we can now say should never have been in the job full time anyway, is is a big failing. So I, I hope, I mean, it seems much more likely now. I mean, this time two weeks ago, I'd have said there's absolutely no way Pogba would be at Manchester United next season, given it felt like he was never going to play for them again. Suddenly he's been welcomed back into the fold by Ranić and, you know, is performing okay. So... I do wonder if, if there is maybe a bit of a concerted effort going on here where they're going to try and see if they can, can find a way to keep him, at least until um, the, the next manager can come in and, and have a look himself. I mean, I love the guy. I, I think he's a Manchester United problem, to be honest. Yeah. But I would say it was a failure from the start. If you lose someone on a free and have to pay massive money to bring them back and it hasn't gone great, I'd just say you probably failed before it even started, to be fair. Now, there's reports, George, that the United squad are pushing for Pochettino. Now, I'm not suggesting these reports are accurate, but if you were making these decisions at United, would you trust these players to, to pick a successor? I mean, I would tell the players, get in your lane. You're the worst Manchester United side there's been for many a year. Why, 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 what are you going on about? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I don't think you need to be... I mean, obviously, when you have some senior pros, you know, if we were looking at, say, the Manchester City side, say Pep Guardiola came out now and said that he was looking at, at um, stepping back at the end of the season. I think then you would look at senior pros, you know, whether it's Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, whoever it is. Um, you look at these guys, Riyad Mahrez, players who've won countless trophies, 
who have been a success at the club and you probably would lean on them for some advice as to what the the, the players would want in order for the you know the contingency plan and the continuation of previous successes at united that isn't the case you know as you mentioned this is a group of players who've massively underachieved whose inability to work with with previous managers um has been a a big failure and there's no evidence to suggest that the Manchester United players know what's needed for success. I, I hate this argument that often comes up. Um, you know, it's an argument I'm having some, with some Sunderland fans at the moment where this notion that the big players need a a massive name um, to to be dealt with, to, to, to kind of have their respect. And I mean, there's just no evidence for that at all. If you look across football at the moment, some of the greatest, some of the managers doing the best things are innovative young coaches who've been, entrusted with a job that probably their CV doesn't suggest they're capable of who thrive because if you are a, a manager or a coach with innovative ideas that work in terms of, of, of winning games of football then that is what's going to earn a player's respect more than anything you know if you turn up to training one day and you're like oh who, I mean I hate the whole idea of you know who was it who said um, they had to google Ranić when he was appointed as if that's some kind of slight on Ranić on, on Ranić's um career that's a, just a massive failing it's a, sl- a slight on the players I would say yeah massively I mean if you don't know who he yeah. is that's nothing to show off about here um, so I I wouldn't be I think if you appoint a manager who has been selected off the back of a rigorous recruitment process which United should be doing the, the most important thing to be doing here is making sure that the decision makers at Manchester United are people with a track record of having made clever footballing decisions and if whoever the outstanding candidate after that process is appointed and the players have an issue with that, that is a player issue. And it's probably quite an easy way of, of getting rid of the bad apples. Steve, on to Southampton, Ralph Hausenhurl has said that he's going to consider retiring once his contract expires in 2024. Brilliant win in, in midweek against Spurs. He's so emotional, isn't he? He puts so much into it that you can almost get why he might re- decide to retire at the end of this contract because he must be drained, the, the amount of emotion he puts into the game. Yeah, he really gets uh, he really gets into it, doesn't he? And I was quite surprised that that was his 500th game against against Spurs. Was which, it? Which kind of, yeah, which kind of, as a manager, which kind of blew me away a little bit. I'll admit that... Uh, I, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. It's in, well, I, I had I had seen him. I suppose from a Southampton fan's point of view, they probably they might have had to um, Google Potch when he came, and mm-hmm. I suppose some would have been uproar. And you know when he replaced Nigel Atkins, mm-hmm. go, oh no, we can't re- we can't replace it. Who's, who's this Potch fella? But anyway, going back to Southampton, who, who did the bookies a little bit of a favour in midweek. I think we all expected, most of us expected Spurs to win. I think the way that they press, the game plan that Hassan Hootl has with his pressing, I think he gets it down to a T, unlike Manchester United so far this season as well, which I suppose for a lot of us neutrals, we're a little bit disappointed in the way that Manchester United have done that. Um, is that the ice cream man in the is background? Is that any scrap iron, man? Because uh, I'm in Birmingham today. <laughs> Honestly, does it only happen in Birmingham? I've lived in other places. I've never, never heard it. Every day here I hear it. <laughs> yeah, incredible scenes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, but the fact that they... 23 shots to, to Spurs, eight at home. You know, Harry Kane kept relatively quiet, which frustrates all of us who had him in his fantasy team as well. They've yep. drawn against Manchester City and... And beaten Spurs as well. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's good to see. Particularly, we had so much money on Southampton to be relegated as well. I, I can't think who the who the hell tipped up Southampton to be relegated, George. I think, I think Dan misunderstood what a charity bet is. I think he thought that it was just, you know, if you, if you lost the bet, all the money went to charity. So he just chose something that couldn't happen. <laughs> Honestly, they were, they, that, 
at the time that seemed very very reasonable but it has given them it's given them the kiss of life they must have sent you some champagne or thank you or you know i, I see you were like uh, advertising villa underpants the other day <laughs> maybe was. some some southampton underpants you know i've i've scored at st mary's or something like that oh, on them or whatever you what know it's just it's <laughs> Yeah, they're more likely top it, half now, Steve. According to the odds, aren't they? Well, no, five to two to finish in the top half. They're still two to seven to finish in in the bottom half, and fifty to one to finish in the top six. So, I think if you if, if you're having a free, you know, fifty p bet on that, I suppose from a five to two point of view, you know, screams value as well. Likewise, the nine to two Southampton to win also at, at Old Trafford. It hasn't happened since Charlie Austin got a winner back in 2016 as well. United have got a pretty good record recently against. Uh, against Southampton but I think it's a great time for Saints to go to Old Trafford and get some personally if anything summed up my betting it's that charity bet for Southampton honestly that, <laughs> that just sums it up completely I thought summing it George, up was se- sending abuse to, to a tipster giving you a winning bet before it won I thought that was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you say I'm quite an eclectic better George it was your tip for the game yeah I agree with Steve I mean I, I couldn't be backing United at a kind of three to five which I think is what they are um, that famous fraction uh, that three six five using there Steve but it's it's, um, it's uh, at the same time, I, I, as I mentioned, I think there are signs in United's recent performances, both against Burnley and against Borough, that they're not necessarily going to rubber the green and they could easily see Saints off. I think what we can be fairly um, confident of is Southampton causing United issues going forward. And for that reason, I looked at both teams to score, which is still heavy odds on. I'm going to go for uh, Southampton to win one of the two halves at seven to four, which kind of opens up a, a couple of means of winning. Basically, you, you're getting a, a chance there of Saints either coming out of the blocks fast um, and, and causing United problems going in ahead at the break, or feasibly if United are, are ahead and, and sit off a bit at the break, then then Saints can come at them and, and try and win the second half. So that's the way I'm playing this. A little bit safer than taking the nine to two about the Saints win. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Game two, Saturday tea time. It's Norwich v Man City. Norwich, of course, beat Man City at Carrow Road a couple of seasons ago. Steve, seven points from the last three games and a win against Wolves in the Cup. Is Dean Smith's great escape on? What's the latest on the relegation odds? Yeah, they're still 3-1 to one to avoid relegation, Dan, but there's clearly been... Been good signs since since Dean Smith's uh, you know been down at uh, at Carrow Road. I suppose having players back from COVID and illness and a, a kind of stability in the back four, uh, you know, which has helped. I think he's picked the same back four for the last four games running, and that and that's clearly helped. 
likewise uh, scoring more and conceding less that was um, that they did under under Daniel Farker as well. Just a different voice in there. And and and, and Reid didn't get an interview with uh, with Gibson earlier in the week. He was saying that that the Farker was his training sessions were more possession based compared to Dean Smith's that were more tactical and they were doing more lots of work together um, as a defensive unit as well. And I think Craig Shakespeare also has a lot to do on the training ground as well. Um, I did used to see him at Stoke Paul in Litchfield during lockdown going to walk around. So I haven't been able to chat to him and, and find out what exactly they have been doing on the training pitch. But it, it seems to be working at the moment. They all seem to be working together in trying to get out of this of, of, of this trouble. And... Even they are, even though they are two to nine to go down, Dan. I, I, I still think they have a little bit of a chance. You know, they have been one to twenty to get relegated. So clearly, there has been some positives under under Smith and Shakespeare, etc. The thing that's impressed me the most with Smith is normally when you see a manager um, change jobs, you can pre- be pretty confident what they're going to bring. And you know, thinking back to Gerard's appointment at, um, at Villa. Dan, you and I were watching countless TIFO videos and the rest of it, finding out about exactly how his, his team set up to play, about the attacking fullbacks. And pretty much everything that we read about and, and listened to has, has come to fruition. That is how he likes to play. That's what he's done. With Smith and Norwich, there are basically no similarities between the style of play, the formation, anything. Um, you know, under, under Smith, Villa were a high-pressing team um, playing with a lone striker with two wide forwards flanking either side of him. Norwich seemed pretty happy to to sit to sit back and step off and let teams have a lot of the ball. Um, he plays at four four two with four attacking players, effectively making up the the attacking unit: two strikers and two wingers. Um, with the other, the, you know, the two centre midfielders and the flat back four, playing a pretty low block with Aaron's having some license to get forward on the right hand side. Um, it looks to me like he's come in. He's looked at the squad available to him. He's worked out what suits them best for what they've got to do, and he's adopted that rather than coming in with with his own ideas of how he wants to play and creating a team in the in the image of his Villa side. And I think doing that is pretty rare. And given the results he's getting at the moment, whether or not they're sustainable, I don't know. But given the chance that he's given them, I think Smith deserves massive credit for you know a bit of you know, talking about innovative coaching there, I think coming in and, and doing what he's done there is is that entirely. You know, you think back to the, the Watford game they won so cosily the other day where they just dropped in and let Watford have all the possession in front of them before hitting them on the counter. Um, we never saw Villa do that. Villa were always a team who looked to take the game to, 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 take the game to any opposition. So well done, Dean Smith. Very underrated manager, mm. very, very tactically astute. I've spoken to a lot of players that worked under Dean Smith and they all rave about him tactically. And you think about when Villa looked dead and buried and they came back after lockdown and, and managed to stay up. You know, a little bit similar vibes with what he's doing mm. with Norwich here, albeit he hasn't had a lockdown to deal with. Now, Steve, Kevin De Bruyne is hitting some serious form. He just always seems to be one of the favourites of Player of the Year, which I still find farcical, but we yeah. all know how, how this award works. It would be a bit harsh, wouldn't it? Because, you know, someone like Bernardo's been good for 75% of the season, quietened down a little bit at the moment, but hopefully he comes back to form. Where does he rank? He's, he's second in, Dan. He's eleven to two in, in behind uh, Mo Salah at one to two, which he's he's, he's priced on reputation there, isn't he? Because he isn't, hasn't been the best Manchester City player this season, uh, has he? You know, of course, you mentioned Bernardo Silva there. He's third best as well, but he's not scored or assisted since the start of December. I'd say Cancelo uh, would be quite hard done by yeah. if De Bruyne got it over him. To be fair, yeah, twenty-five Green. to one. Uh, uh, Cancelo yeah I mean the game his last game you, of course he's a, he's, he's a fantasy football favourite isn't he six shots 60 touches in the final third which is incredible um, only a couple of shots on target you know, no, no goals unfortunately he's an absolute absolute joy to watch so maybe as a 25 to 1 chance he's probably 
worth having a look at. But again, how many right backs have at, or left backs or have, have actually he doesn't really play there, does he? But he's, he's more of a midfielder. But they don't tend to win it very often either. And it's it's a market dominated by Manchester City. They had Foden's at sixteen, Van Dijk at thirty three to one, Jota's at thirty three to one as well. But um, I know you like Rodri as well, Dan. Who feels he's, he's yeah. had a great season as well. You know, a pretty uh, pretty fantastic job he's done there for Manchester City, and he, he's a fifty to one chance. But uh, at the moment, we think the market points to Mo Salah. Van Dijk was actually my shout at the start of the season to see him out of 33-1. to 1. Another excellent shout from me. Now, Sam Lee and John Muller have been writing about Manchester City and the way they dominate on the pitch. Quickly from either of you, are they going to drop enough points to make it an interesting title race? George, I'll come to you first. I mean, I don't think so. Um, it it no. seems unlikely. It, I guess when they play each other, when is it? Beginning of April? Um, for the second time, if, if there's... What? I don't know if there's 10 points in it and in Liverpool win and make it seven. Does that make it interesting? Probably not. Um, no. It, it seems pretty unlikely. The only thing that could work in Liverpool's favour is that the Champions League is back in a week or so's time. Um, and that opens, you know, that means that City have to maybe prioritise another competition. Um, if they get a little bit careless, they could lose a, a couple of games or drop a couple of drop points in a couple of games on the bounce, which could see Liverpool come back, back into it. But it, it seems very... I mean, it, it obviously could happen, but it seems very, very unlikely to me, given their dominance in, in pretty much every Premier League game that they play. Steve, how's the yeah. market shaping up for the title race? Yeah, 1-10, to 10, Manchester City, 6-1, to 1, Liverpool. Manchester City, 5-4 to four, to win by 10 or more points, which I think sums it up nicely. Yeah. And what's your tip for the game, Steve? Yeah, we've got a number of uh, bet boosts on a whole host of games. And uh, the Bet365 bet boost on this one is going to be Manchester City to win to nil, which was four to five, which is currently even money. Game three, Sunday, 2pm, Newcastle v Aston Villa. Steve, frantic night at Villa Park (laughs) on Wednesday. Um, incredible, incredible game. I actually came away a little bit disappointed, but then I watched it back and thought, mm, actually, we could have ended up losing that. So probably not, yeah. not the worst result in the world. But Stephen Gerrard's Villa, they're entertaining. They're a good watch, aren't they? I spoke to a couple of lads that uh, that went, some some very good mates that go. So they tend to give me some some you know fair feedback as well. And and, and both of them that I spoke to which surprised me actually not watching the game, said that Villa were quite lucky not to lose the game. They probably got involved in in a bit of a scrap with Leeds and they kind of played their way. It was yeah. a basketball game. It was you attack, we attack. If they would have been disciplined like they did in the first half, they looked you know so on top of the game. And and I was, I was watching the goals go in. It was it was incredible, really. And, I, and we talked about the game. We think, God, there's going to be some goals there tonight. Villa Park was... Was it rocking as normal, Dan, at there? Or was it a bit of nervousness at Villa Park? Well, it, was rock- on, uh... it was rocking at 3-1 for two minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clearly, I mean, you know, some players are, are clearly massively stepping up. Mm. You know, we you know we talked about, you know, we'll, I'm, no doubt we'll talk about, uh, you know, Ramsey, you know, pretty soon. You know, the box-to-box midfielder, he's been absolutely fantastic. I know a lot of people will point fingers at Mings and, and concert for the red card, but I'm quite interested to know your opinion on a, on a, on a few players, some that have, have, have had... Plenty of highs at Aston Villa. Likewise, Ollie Watkins and, and John McGinn seems to have gone really quiet at the moment. Any, any particular reason for that? Watkins, I thought the game was crying out for Danny Ings, to be honest, on the hour. I was, I was pushing for Danny Ings to come on. Obviously, I have absolutely no influence on substitutes whatsoever, <laughs> but I would have liked to have seen Danny Ings on, on, on the hour. Stephen Gerrard wasn't answering his phone, unfortunately. But <laughs> something's up with Watkins. I can't, I can't work it out. I watched Match of the Day back and he... 
he got was getting praise off there on Dublin, but I've got to be honest, I didn't really see. He's not the same player he was last season. His body language doesn't look, look great at times. It just feels like there's something really off with him at the moment. I think he's only scored four or five goals as well this season after 13 or 14 last season. So something wrong with him. I think McGinn's a bit of a difficult one because... George already touched on it. The, the fullbacks absolutely bum on. So that when you're playing right central midfield, Cash is playing so high up the pitch, you're almost asked to, to cover and sit a little bit deeper. But then I think, well, it's the same on the other side with Luca Dean and Jacob Ramsey's bursting forward and getting getting two goals. So I think it's just players getting used to to what Gerard wants a little bit. But I think I'd I'd want to see Danny Ings lead the line on on Sunday for Villa because I think playing with Coutinho and Buendia, I think that suits Ings more than Watkins. Yeah, we've got a top Aston Villa goal scorer on site, Dan, and, and Ollie Watkins is actually even money favourite with Danny Ings at, at nine to four, Coutinho at six, Ramsey at seven. So I'm suggesting you think that Danny Ings at nine to four, even though he's behind Ollie Watkins currently, could be the value pick to be top Premier League goal scorer for Villa this season. It's a complete contradiction what I'm about to say because Ollie Watkins has started every single game since he's, when he's been fit since Gerrard's been in charge. But I just have the impression that he wants to play Ings. He wants Ings, to, and he can't. They can't play together. Then, and to be fair, now Buendia and Coutinho have got the, the two spots behind the striker, so they're not going to play together. But I just feel at some point Ings is going to come in and stay in. I think he wanted to get him on, didn't he, before the red card? And then the red card kind of changed things. Five minutes left. Yeah, okay. A bit pointless okay. at that point, I thought. Yeah. Oh, he should have been on earlier for, in, my, in my mind, but I'm not a Premier League manager. George Jacob Ramsey spent a little bit of time in the AFL at Doncaster. I think he scored two in six games whilst he was there. But he's turning into to some player. I compared him to, to Jude Bellingham. I think I called him Jude Bellingham Light. I can't remember if it was on this podcast. Or I bet not. that went down well but, with the Birmingham fans. But that that was a it's meant as a compliment. Of course it is. Because yeah, Bellingham yeah. is, I mean, is, is phenomenal. Yeah. But Jacob Ramsey's turning into some player as well. Yeah, he is. Uh, it feels like he's having a well. I mean, he is having a, a massive breakout season. Um, he's one of those midfielders like Bellingham where you wonder what he can't do. You know, he's he's someone who's very very good at getting on the ball uh, in deep areas and um, basically carrying it into advanced areas. He can turn Villa's defensive position into attack very quickly. He's a decent passer. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily a kind of elite creative passer, um, but he doesn't really need to be given here. that He's got Buendia and, and Coutinho uh, feeding him, as we saw midweek. And then, you know, he's got that goal-scoring knack as well. Um, the second finish um, was just sublime. The absolute confidence to... You know, when you're one on one with the keeper to decide to put your foot through it at the near posts high into the corner. Um it was you know, he's he's clearly a very, very confident lad and um he he surprised me, I guess, in terms of how quickly, you know, it's quite rare that you get kids that age um coming into the first team and not just, you know, having a season to, to settle into the first team. He's come in, he started playing regularly straight away and you know his his spot is now very much his own in that villa villa side. If he's fit he plays. Um I'm I'm very excited about him. And I think he'll have a, a, a part to play on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he's the first name on the team sheet for Villa and definitely the standout midfielder at the moment. Really linking up well with Philip Coutinho as well. He's, he seems to really enjoy playing with him, which obviously you would because Philip Coutinho is an amazing <laughs> footballer. Steve, St James's part was absolutely rocking in their win over Everton on, on Tuesday night. Kieran Trippier, a big part of Newcastle's mini resurgence. How did Man U and Spurs let Trippier end, end up there? Because Spurs especially, I think. Well, and Man U actually. They are yeah, both Man crying U, out for someone. I just think Emerson Royale is awful. So any right back, I would say, is an upgrade. <laughs> but yeah, both of them could have, could have done with someone like Trippier. I suppose from a Manchester United point of view, I think they probably went in um, f- for the first time and, and, and may have been put off 
a little bit, you know, maybe maybe too much money. Dello was on loan probably at the time when when they went there. I think he might, you know, maybe Trippier had a clause in his contract or or, or, or some games triggered a, a new contract or, or whatever. But I, I think it's, it's different circumstances for Man United. Dello was out on loan. They needed a right back. Maybe they should have gone that little bit further. Now Rangnick's come in. Dello's playing of course and they've got a little bit of strength in depth in that position so maybe it wasn't suited Spurs that you've mentioned as well but I suppose Newcastle have the money wanted a player of that quality to be in the a leader it, it, as well yeah a leader very much so a leader and we've seen that on the pitch already clearly you know him stepping up and scoring that goal against Everson was fantastic as well the atmosphere there was great and they they are pushed out now for relegation at five to two so which is which is great for Newcastle, and and you kind of feel that they're going to kick on now. They've they've won two games, or they've won a couple of games where you've expected them to in a, in a run of games where they needed to win. They've done that. The place is rocking, and um, you know Newcastle could be safe this season. Then also all season, it's been a great time to go to St James's and play in Newcastle. It's now suddenly not. team <laughs> rock up there. That feels that feels like a typical football fan thing. And also Villa yeah. haven't won at St James's Park since Lee Bowie and Kieran Dyer had a scrap. Wow. I remember that, a- yeah. Abhorrent yeah. record at St James's Park, so I have very little hope going into Sunday as a Villa fan. Also, George, Alan St Maximin's a pretty good player, unplayable at times. What, what's his ceiling? I don't I mean, I, I don't think he's necessarily got a ceiling. I, I think he's someone who could swan into any team in um, in Europe, in the world, and, and improve them uh, in terms of what he can offer. Um, you know, I don't know if he'd necessarily, if he went to a... Uh, uh, Liverpool or Man City, he probably would, would be in and out of the side as, as they often rotate their front players. But his he's just so much more than a, a pace merchant. You know, even though we we saw the ridiculous gears that he went through um, to to kind of set up the chance for the was it the second Newcastle goal? Um, he is uh, just much more than someone who who is fast. His his feet are great. He's as we mentioned on this podcast before. He's his shooting ability, he's got one of the most powerful shots going. Um, and the good thing for Newcastle now is that previously it felt like such a one-dimensional side. It's, it's often felt like if you stop San Maximo, you stop Newcastle. But given the players they're bringing in now, that's no longer the case. And I think that will suit San Maximo brilliantly because it means he should have more space to exploit. He should be getting on the ball more often in advanced areas. Um, he was wasted for so long, and I think the, the Newcastle fans have to be delighted that he somehow remained at the club over those kind of periods where he was, his talent was being wasted because um, he must have been tempted to, to to look further afield. But now, especially now, it looks like they're they're, they're likely to stay up. Um, whilst everything else changes at St James's Park, he will be the constant if they can keep him. And and you know if in three or four years they, they achieve their ambitions and they're a Champions League side and all the rest of it if he stays fit and carries on playing the way he should do I'm sure he'll still be a part of that and how do you see the game playing out George well as I mentioned I think I think Ramsey is an interesting one um you know Villa seem to be agents of chaos at the moment in, in the Premier League where most games uh, are incredibly open and attacking and exciting and given what we've seen from Newcastle in recent weeks, so different to the Steve Bruce Newcastle side. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this game was similar to the Leeds one with plenty of goals in it. Um, looking at the goal scorer markets, I think there is maybe a case with Ramsey that the market isn't quite up to speed with what kind of a player he is. You know, he's scored five goals and 20 so far in the Premier League this season. I'm almost a bit 
annoyed to be kind of putting him up to score here, given he's just scored two in midweek and the chance size probably not. He, you know, he may not do it again. He may have used up his quota. But when you look at the list of, of Newcastle players, sorry, of Villa players uh, and their price to score any time here, you've got Watkins at two to one, uh, Coutinho at three to one, Buendia at one hundred thirty, uh, McGinn at nine to two. For Ramsey to be eleven to two and be the outsider of that field it isn't right for me. You know, he's an attacking midfielder. He's someone whose job it is to, to get into the opposition Dave's box. Literally correcting it now. <laughs> as you speak. Seven to, into seven to two, George. Sorry, it's it's a bet. It's a bet three six five bet unboost. Or yeah, hopefully it's still there when this goes out. I, yeah, I think the eleven to two is uh, is generous, and I'm sure it's a case where if this game was played in in April May, uh, I'm sure he'd be around the same price if not shorter than, than Coutinho and Brendia. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game four, final game for today, Leicester v West Ham, which is the 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. Steve, what do the bookies make of Leicester? Oh. I, it's a I find it really difficult with Leicester because they're, obviously they're defensively all over the place, so unorganised, absolute shambles. But I almost feel like Rodgers, they're having a bad season, I acknowledge that, but I always feel like he's a, a little bit of a victim of his own success. I mean, he's finished fifth, fifth and won an FA Cup. I know Leicester won the league that time. I mean, realistically... They're glory days. I know. Uh, am I allowed to mention that Boxing Day game I went to, that 6 3? Because I know I mention it every it, week and Cor- you always pick me up was on it. In it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember you said that. Yeah. yeah, but I absolutely love Leicester watching just the way that they went toe to toe with City, as I've said many a time on this. But that performance against Forest was was just absolutely abysmal. That I mean, that was a real worry. I know they were missing key personnel there, the likes of Schmeichel, Vardy, and of course the greatest of all, Sir Johnny Evans, you know. So there's a, clearly it was a lack of leadership in that in that that game. But the fact that they conceded three goals in what, nine, ten minutes was a was a real a real worry for me. And the way that they started the season, they were one to seven to finish in the top half and nine to two to finish in the top four. They're, they're what now? A hundred to one to finish in the top four and, and, and just four to seven in the top half. Yes, we still think that they will, they will do that. But like you say, those two fifth place finishes in the FA Cup win just seem a, just seems so long gone and, and players, you know, Tielemans, his future, he was a captain against Forest. He got hooked as well. He's bang off and form, ta- Tielemans. Yeah, and, form. And, and let's talk about the set pieces. There was another one against Liverpool. Yes, I backed Van Dijk to score against Leicester. So uh, Jota got the pieces from that to, to get the first goal as well. 18 goals in total from, from set plays. You, you know, you'd expect someone like Craig Dawson you know, to be rubbing his hands uh, this weekend. And, it, and it, it's a concern for Leicester. You know, we think top half is probably the best that name for this season. Hasn't scored yet, has he, Dawes, this season? I don't think. No, he's in my he fantasy hasn't. He, needs, he needs one, he's due. Yeah. Also, mm. also, cup set again last week. Called it. 
Yeah. yeah. You nailed it. Big, what, big what, about, what about what about I, I call the boring wood cup set? That's he true. Did, that was probably a big, George, probably a bigger George was on fire last week. You 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 were, you were a solid performance from the boy Alec last I week. Think the I only thought. one that undid yeah, me well was, was Liverpool not winning both halves. They won three 0 yeah, un- unfortunate that was. Yeah, you had a, you had a good weekend. It's fair to say Thanks, last mate. weekend. And we don't lot. really do idle spec. We don't. Yeah, we don't really do idle speculation on the athletics written side of things. But as I'm in charge of this podcast, let's do a bit of idle speculation. I've made the decision. Brendan Rogers, if he did leave Leicester, where would he go next, Steve? Would his next kind of job be? Because at times he's been linked with the re- the real top job. Well, but it, that's probably well, gone he, now. His stock is. Oh, that's a good Newcastle, uh, Arsenal. Arsenal, I'd say that's too high at the moment. He's got a massive issue where every job he's in, this happens. Where yeah. he improves the team, yeah. they do brilliantly, and then in the fourth season, things unravel at like a frightening pace. And if you're in Newcastle, that's probably not the worst thing. You know, you're not gonna if if he takes if he takes you to that level, and then things start falling apart, fine, because that's the journey they want to go on. But if you're in Arsenal, a Manchester United, you know the the jobs. Yeah, true. In Brendan Rodgers himself, I think he's been quite open that he wants to be Pep Guardiola's successor. Uh, I just can't see that. I mean, happening. I want to be Gary Lineker's successor, <laughs> but we don't, is that yeah, it? Don't is that, get what you want? Is that, is that the path you see yourself on? No, no, I don't. <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think I'm sure he'll get a decent job because he's you know he's a very very good manager and he's a good tactician and he's got a track record of improving teams, but. Um, I don't think any smart club would um would, would be you know a city or a United or someone would, would be going in for for a manager who's seemingly got it in, in the kind of a Mourinho style. Um, you know, he's a bit more long lasting, but his sell by date seems to be about three years after appointment. And where would Leicester go, Steve? A killer questions there, and I've come really got right, I've right, really got right. enough script. A bit like Paxman this week. I have, yeah, you, you have caught me absolutely unawares. I don't try and tout Steve Bruce, by the way. No, I haven't. I, I haven't got an answer. I, 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 I really do. I, I, to be honest, I don't have one either. It's a bit, a bit of a hard question. George, have no. anyone leap into your mind? Well, it's, it's interesting that we, we spoke there about Hassan Hootel earlier and possibly retiring. Um, he mm. wouldn't be the first manager in their mid-50s to say, oh, I've had enough of this, so they're going to retire. And then actually when another job comes along, they think, you know what, I could probably carry on doing this for a bit longer. Um, he's someone who I don't think gets the credit he deserves. Uh, we know that often, um, you know, Leicester may have handed him his, his worst moment as a manager uh, a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, I think someone like that, who uh, whose style and, and what he does would fit in pretty well with Leicester. Um yeah, uh, and then obviously I, I put up Graham Potter for every single job going, but I don't know if Leicester that's, would, that's would be able that's to. Probably, that's, that's probably a good shout, I would say, yeah. Potter. I think it's often easy to forget just how ambitious Leicester are. Their owners, whilst mm. they're doing it over a long period of time. Unbelievable training complex as exactly, well. Exactly. You know, Newcastle get all of the, I mean, understandably, given the wealth of their owners, but the ambition of Leicester isn't, that far off the ambition of Newcastle. Um, it's just over a longer period of time. They want to make Leicester into one of the footballing powerhouses. Uh, so if, if Rodgers did move on, even if Leicester you know, finished mid-table this season, they'll be looking for a manager to take them to the very top, not just to, to kind of crash the crash the top six or t- top four. 
Yeah, I like that shout. That would be a sensible appointment. But as I say, we don't really do speculation on the athletic normally, but <laughs> I've allowed us to indulge ourselves. West Ham, Steve, fourth. Are they going to stay there? I, I really think nobody wants that fourth spot. I think they've got as good a chance as anyone else. It's true, but they're a long way away down in the betting. You've got United and Arsenal both at seven with Tottenham at, at two after that defeat against Southampton. And then and West Ham are eight to one. So oh, that's a decent that would, bet. I know they've played more games, haven't they? So, we, you know, we don't think that they'll be able to, to do that. They are slight favs to win at Leicester, a side that they've scored 10 past them in the last three games. And from a, a goal-scoring point of view, clearly it's a concern with Antonio continuing to miss fire. But the form of Bowen is, is, is a massive plus at the moment who, who has stepped up. Uh, six in six, I think, he's currently got as well, Bowen. But, yeah, from a bookmaking point of view, you know, we don't think that West Ham can finish in that top four by offering eight to one, clearly. Bowen raised in the EFL, of course. Steve, what's your tip for the game? I've talked about West Ham, but James Madison continues to, you know, pepper the goal with shots, whether it be from set pays or whether it be from distance. But we've got a, a bet boost on him to score at any time against the Hammers. Uh, 11 of 4, he was. We'd have pushed him out to 7 to 2. So I'm going to go for James Madison to score at any time. Right then, just enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to The Athletic today and gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that, head to theathletic.com slash football pod. That's theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks to George, thanks to Steve, and of course, thanks to all of you for listening as well. Remember to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast so that you never miss a show. Mark Chapman will be back on this feed on Monday, probably unhappy that I was touting myself for Gary Lineker's job because I think he's probably got his eye on it as well. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy the football. The Athletic.